0: Your host, Dina Adams, and we are talking with Paul Fortune. Getting to chat with Paul just a little bit before we got started, I have to say that one of the things I'm really enjoying about getting to know him is his openness. He just has this energy that I'm here, and no matter no matter what it is, I am going to share, even if it's hard, because it's going to help somebody else. And I can really feel that energy come through, that just the heart you have for people and the desire to allow your story to help others. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you and letting our audience just get to know you through this episode. So Paul, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for saying that. Because one of the biggest things that I look at other people about is being authentic and And I think that's what you said about me without saying that. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that, that you you caught on to that, is that that's what I want to be. I want to be authentic. I just want to show up as me. And I, I think that you're picking up on that. And I really appreciate you saying that.
0: Absolutely. That's one of the things I love about getting to know my guests, even if it's five minutes or 30 minutes before a podcast. I'm a very intuitive, empathic person. And I like to get a feel for people instead of just... I know I mentioned this to you before, other than just reading their bio, they can read the bio in the description, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not going to tell them anything really about the person. And I like alignment. I'm all about alignment. So when people are listening to this podcast, I like them to feel aligned with who they're listening to because they can listen to maybe 30 episodes. But if they're looking for someone who is their next step, And there's no part of our conversation that's about alignment. And I'm not utilizing my gifts to share what I'm getting from the person I'm talking to. It's really not going to serve the audience very well. It's not going to serve my guest very well. So I really like to utilize that and and really get focused on that aspect of connecting with people. So... What I want to do first is ask you just to share, you do an introduction for you, who you are, what you do, who you serve, and then I will get us started on talking about your story.
1: All right. Well, I'm a, a coach and a speaker, and what I like to do, what, what the, truck, the trucks of what I do, my main title of what I do is taking back your pen and writing the story that you want for yourself, not for anybody else for yourself, because you are the author of your own story. So do not give up your pen to anybody else and let them write the story for you. Take back your pen and write the story on how you want your life to go. You are the author. And this is a passion for me because all through my life, people have wanted to take the pen from me and write the story they thought my life should go. And all through my life, I said, no, give me back my pen. I'm going to write the story on how I feel it should go. And that's what I've been doing since I was a kid all the way to present day. I have my pen in hand and I'm writing my own story. So it's a passion piece for me. And that's, that's what I share with my, my audience that I'm speaking to or, or the coaching clients I'm working with. Wherever I'm at, that is the crux of it.
2: Hi love
0: the part where you said take back your pen and i i think that hit me because i spent my life handing it to everyone else telling me for me saying you tell me how you want me to be so you'll be happy with me so that you won't be mad at me so that i i won't ruffle any feathers so me being me won't cause you any problems and that's how I spent most of my life. And so to for you to be sharing with people, and do you hear an echo?
1: I, I don't hear an echo, no.
0: I hear, I hear an echo. I'm gonna turn okay. my speaker down. Okay. I can edit that out. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: On the podcast, not on the YouTube channel. <laughs> I think it's so important. For us to inspire and encourage others. And I love that with the way you're talking about to take back your pen, it's telling people to stop giving away your life and letting other people control it. And I feel like there's so many of us, especially people pleasers (laughs) like me, where we want to please other people so much that we will take a piece of ourselves and set it aside and believe that it's not valid and it's not relevant and it's not valuable because it, other people don't see it that way. And so I love that your focus is to help people take back their pen, own who they are, love themselves completely. Like this is what I get out of this very short statement that you shared. And run with it you know don't run with pens or scissors or whatever but you're going to run like you take that pen and it's nobody else's right to say what you should or shouldn't write with that pen and that's a very that's a very
2: powerful thing
1: yeah you hit the nail on the head that's exactly what the crux of my coaching is all about and what i'm speaking about is that living your true self. We got one life to live. So we might as well live it the way we want to live it. And it's a shame. I've interviewed people in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And they talk about, oh, I could have invested in that. Or I could have traveled there. Or I could have lived there. Or I could have married this person. Or I could have done this. You know, it's all about the regrets. And a lot Mm -hmm. of it, it has to do with what you just talked about, being a people pleaser and not living their authentic life. And that's what it's all about living that authentic life, getting into older age, going, man, I've had a fantastic life. Yeah. I failed a lot, but I've gotten back up and I've done it my way because that's the life I wanted to live.
0: I love that. So I want st- to, so I, I'm going to let you start where you want to with your story just a little background. Paul was born with cerebral palsy and the doctors told his mom he would never walk again. And so I would love for you to share a couple of things around that story when you're sharing it. Is, I mean, obviously that's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual struggle that you're facing, right? Your mom was going through, and then there's a, there's either a collective of moments or a sp- defining moment where something shifted, gradually or in an instant, that said, "I'm not going to accept this," and here's. And, and so share with us what that looks like and what you did to choose to keep moving forward through that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's just start at the beginning. You, you mentioned I have cerebral palsy, and if your viewers don't know what cerebral palsy is, it's lack of oxygen to the brain. Normally it happens at labor. And as a result of this lack of oxygen to the brain at labor, it can leave one side of the body paralyzed. It can affect your speech. And these things are permanent, it generally happens to the right side of your body. So when I was born, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. And naturally, my mother was concerned about that. So she took me to a doctor to get testing to see what was going on with me. And that's where I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And this first doctor told my mom that I would never, ever be able to walk. And when I got to a certain age, it would be a good idea to get me used to being in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. I've had many conversations with my mom about that, that moment that she had that, that conversation with that doctor. Mm -hmm. And she told me that night, I think she said she cried herself to sleep, wondering what the life was going to be for her baby boy. The challenges that I was going to have to go through as a child and as an adult, not being able to walk.
0: What age were you when they diagnosed
1: you? I was probably a couple months old. Okay. So she told me the next morning, I, I, like I said, I'm a couple of years, a couple of months old, so I can't talk at this time, but she said when she woke up and she woke me up to start the day, she said that I gave her a look, a look if to say, mom, do not let this be my story. I want to walk. Mm-hmm. And that mama bear inside of her started roaring. She got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion, finally found a physician willing to help. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week and my mom's unrelentless attitude to make sure I was walking, I was walking between age two and three. And I asked my mom about that. Was there a number on where you were going to stop to get an opinion? And she said, no, there was not a number. I wasn't stopping. It was going to happen. She had this will that I was going to walk. She was going to do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. She was going to go travel the world if she had to, to make sure I was walking. So I was walking between age two and three. Now, I don't really remember that, but obviously that's a huge feat in my, my young life when four the doctors said that wasn't going to happen for me. But right. I do remember being put into soccer roughly when I was about five or six years old. And at the time, I probably could run about 25 to 50 yards before my leg would give out. So Mm -hmm. on the soccer field, I'm pretty much standing there where kids are playing soccer around me. I remember one day after practice, I was just fed up with playing soccer because kids are teasing me. I'm not having fun. I was going to tell my mom, I don't want to play soccer tomorrow. That's done. I'm it done. And I remember what my mom told me that day because it stuck with me to this day in my personal life and in my professional life. She said, Paul, if you do not want to play soccer anymore, that is fine. But you need to honor your commitment, so you need to finish out that soccer season. And if you don't want to play soccer after that, you do not have to play soccer anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what has happened. I'm forty-two years old, and I haven't played soccer since I was five <laughs> years old. <laughs> but I did finish out that soccer season. I honored my commitments, and that's just it. It it now it's that's ingrained in me now. Like when I set. When I, when I commit to something, I finish the commitment. And then after that, I evaluated if that's something I want to continue, or I don't want to do that anymore. And it stuck with me at that young age. But after that soccer season, I was probably maybe a year after my soccer season, I got a a surgery that was pretty much a game changer for me. It tightened up the tendon in my foot, gave me a little bit more spring in my step and kind of took away the pain I was feeling when I ran. I didn't know how big of a game changer it was until I switched schools around this time. And I remember my first day of PE, physical education, we did our stretches and the, the teacher says, okay, guys run a lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again, I'm <laughs> going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. These kids are going to see that and they're going to start to tease me. But because of the surgery was different. I was able to go past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul, you got this, buddy, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, 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 yes. It was the first time in my young life where I just fit in with the kids, I didn't stand out. And, and because of the surgery, things got easier for me, but I wouldn't consider them easy. So I still kind of walk with a little bit of a limp, and I still Mm -hmm. held my right arm a little bit differently. My parents got divorced when I was about 11 or 12 years old so i had to switch schools and that's a tough age to switch schools it's middle school junior high whatever you want to call it kids are going through hormonal changes they're becoming teenagers and a lot of these kids that this new school is going to have been going to school with each other for years and years and they've already formed their cliques and they don't have any time for anybody new so just being a new kid alone is going to be tough in that environment But I'm a new kid who, like I said, walks with a little bit of a limp and holds his right arm a little bit differently. So I was a little bit different than the other kids. And I could not make any friends at this school. I was bullied, spit on, teased, tackled, you name it, they did it to me. And I came from this old school mentality that you didn't squill, you didn't tattle. So I held all this pain inside of me. And and it it just was, it's just a rough time in my life. And then on top of this, I was raised Catholic, so my mom wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. So I had to take an assessment test to see where they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, mm-hmm. I, pro- I bombed the test because I met with, when I met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells the both of us that she's going to put me at the lowest, lowest level possible, and she doesn't expect much from me. I don't seem like I'm going to be college material. After one test, this principal says this to, to the both of us. So now I think I'm stupid and I'm going back to school and I'm getting bullied and teased at. And this is going back to your point, your point where you where you asked me about was there kind of a pivoting point? Well, this is kind of where it happened. I just was fed up with feeling angry and sad all the time. I knew those weren't my go-to mm. emotions, but because of the environment I was in, those are the emotions that were coming up most of the time. And I was sick of feeling that way. So I thought, what if I? focused in on something what if I focused in on a goal or, or or something I could put all my attention there and that will help me ignore the noise that I was feeling outside of that So, mm-hmm. I thought, what could my goal be and at the time I loved 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 baseball so I said what if I tried to make my varsity baseball team in high school so I started playing fall ball winter ball spring ball and if I wasn't doing that I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall and I was doing this constantly and while this was going on, while I was going through this journey, a coach comes up to me and goes, Paul, you play a lot of baseball. What do you want to do with this? And when the first few times he asked me that question, I, I, just, I just didn't want to tell him. I, didn't want, I was embarrassed to tell him that somebody with cerebral palsy wanted to make a varsity baseball team. So I just said, oh, I just love baseball. But he kept asking me that question. And he caught me in a weak moment because I just blurted out, I want to make my varsity baseball team. And I'm like, Oh crap. I can't believe I just said that. And I was bracing myself for, for this coach to laugh at me, but he didn't. He paused for a second. And he said, that's doable. And I'm like, what? That's doable. He goes, absolutely. It's doable, but you got to have other people keep you accountable for this goal. And I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Other people keep you <laughs> accountable for this goal. And he goes, He goes, after practice tomorrow, you're going to go in front of your team, and you're going to tell your team that this is your goal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. They're going to make fun of me. They just start accepting me. He goes, Paul, there's going to be weak moments in your life going after this goal where you're going to need other people to lift you up on one of these weak moments. So they need to know your goal. So I said, okay. So reluctantly, after practice, I was shaken. And I went in front of the team and I told the team my goal. And again, I was bracing myself for them to laugh at me as well. And they didn't. They clapped for me. And while I was going through this, I know this now. I didn't know this when I was going through this, but I started to send a different energy out towards kids. I started Mm -hmm. to gain more confidence in myself, my shoulders back, my head up. And as a result of this new energy I was sending out to these kids, they started sending a different energy back towards me. In other words, instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school career was much, much different than my middle school career, all because of how I carried myself. And that alone is the win. But the cherry on top of the whole thing was I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. And my senior year, I pitched a three-hit shutout. They poured the Gatorade on me, and I felt so alive. I felt so good. I, I was the top of the world. I graduate high school. And I started to really reflect on that goal that I set for myself years earlier about making the varsity baseball team. Like I said, when I first made that goal, it was just a way to ignore the noise. I really didn't think mm-hmm. I was going to make the team, but I was able to do that. So I started to reflect on what that principal said to me years earlier about not being college material. See all through high school, I mailed it in. I just did enough to stay eligible to play baseball because I thought, what's the point? I'm not smart. I'm not going to college. Just do enough to get by and and move on. There's no need to waste time doing anything further. But I thought, man, if I could make this goal happen about making a varsity baseball team, why can't I set another goal for myself to say that I am college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself a tutor for other subjects. I went to the math lab. I did everything necessary to increase my grade point average. And as a result of this hard work, I took my barely a 2.0, if not a little bit lower, all the way to 3.5, where I was able to transfer to a four-year university and become college material, graduate. And I so wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see you were wrong. I was college material. But you know what? I, I think I should probably thank her. Because all through college, I heard her voice telling me that I wasn't college material, and my next thought was, "I'll show you that I am college material." So I don't know if that was her way of motivating me. I don't know, but I just kind of ignored it and moved on. And I could go on and on. I don't know if you want me to want to stop me there, but that that's kind of the crux of of, of where where I came from.
0: So there's so many things that you shared that. It got me thinking, and I'm sure our listeners too, of what their experience was like, right? So I thought about what it was like for me when I switched schools at 12 years old. I thought about what it was like for me when my parents got divorced at that, you know, at that time, I thought about what it was like for me getting bullied and going through all the crap I did in middle school. And when you're taught and in high school and being told you're never going to be able to go to college because you're not good enough, like... It's so crazy, like just to hear somebody else say all these things. And I think to myself and go, that's how I always wanted to be. When someone said I couldn't do something, I always heard of these people, (laughs) these people who would be like, yeah, I'll show you and do it anyway. And I'm like, I don't understand that. That's not how I functioned. And so I would hear these stories of people saying, I wasn't going to accept it and they had something that I wanted and what I learned was they're wired differently than I am. They have different attributes that are super strong that are not strong in me and when I stopped allowing myself to try to be like them and use what worked for them, I started realizing that... One, first of all, this is an incredible story. And for you to find that willpower to say, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. And to do it, because even people who that is a natural thing for them, they will fight it. And not everybody who is capable of doing that will do it. But for those of us who are not like that, that doesn't fuel us. That drops us faster than you know a hurricane does a tree like you know that's something that would stop me in my tracks debilitate me and i would go deeper and deeper into my all my mental health issues and everything and so what i learned is and and hopefully some people will will take this from this conversation when you hear a story like Paul's and you don't show up like that in the world and when he says something that fueled him, but you know, it tanks you. All you have to do is figure out what does fuel you because we're all different. And for you to be that little kid going, come on, you can do this in your head. I'm sitting there hearing all the negative thoughts going, every reason I shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) Right. And we all go through that where we're, there's a whole spectrum of how we talk to ourselves how we push ourselves, what fuels us, what stops us. And what I take from this story is you never, even though other people were telling you, no, you looked within yourself to find the yes and to give permission. And you didn't wait for everybody else to give you permission you you chose it to give it to yourself. And I didn't learn how to do that until much, I'm not even going to tell you, much later in life, right? My, my youngest kids were almost ready to graduate high school when I discovered, oh, I'll have to just give myself permission. What? Like, I mean, I heard about it and I heard stories like that. But even when, you know, my youngest were in middle school, my oldest were graduating high school, I still didn't grasp the concept and the understanding. It took time for me to dig deep into myself and figure out what that meant for me. And so hearing a story like yours before I understood I was allowed to give myself permission to hearing it after the response I have inside of myself is very different. So I want to encourage people with this for a moment before we continue with his story. When you hear someone's story and you immediately go into, Oh, but because of his mom being so supportive and driven, that's why he could you know, and always putting off these excuses as to why it worked for someone else and not you that means there's some growth and some self-awareness that needs to happen because you're still being a very loud, negative voice for yourself. And I was that loud, negative voice for myself for a very long time. And I let everybody else's perspective become my truth. And when I started learning how to let set that aside
2: and started discovering my own truth... And I started
0: taking back my pen, like you talk about. It's not something that happens overnight. Like listening to your story, this was not an overnight thing. This was years of going through bullying and negative, I'm sure negative self-talk even, and hearing other people speak negatively over your life. And, And what I want people to really get is that if you're going through a story like Paul's, or you're going through a struggle of any kind do not compare someone's highlight reels someone's aha moments someone's you know end of the movie to your very beginning right we tend to compare where we are to someone else's coming out on the other side and so i'm hope i'm hopeful this is encouraging to others like it is to me because this is like i'm just sitting here going oh i went through that oh i did that oh yep i know what that's like <laughs> and i'm like why did i think like that at that age why was i telling myself those things why but you know what i was but everybody else's voice was louder than my own and i didn't have i believed everybody else when they said i had no value so then if i'm telling myself these things and I'm believing their lie that I have no value. I'm not going to believe the words that I'm telling myself either. So if you will, I'd like for you to share. Okay, so now you're in college and you've gone, you know, you're going through college and everything. I'd like to hear more about how you went from going to college and all of that into becoming a mindset coach, a speaker, and someone pouring this passion and encouragement into other people and what that journey was like for you?
1: Absolutely. So (laughs) I graduate college, like I mentioned. I have no life experience whatsoever. I'm 22, 23 years old. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life. I had a family friend who was in the banking industry, the mortgage industry, and he said, hey, we're hiring mortgage loan officers. Would you like to give it a go? And I'm like, I got nothing going on. Let's go. Let's try this out. <laughs> so, we, so I get in and this is my first real job. I mean, I, I worked other jobs. I worked fast food and other, other things, but this is my first out of college job. So I got to wear Your a nice first little, adult job. <laughs> exactly. My first adult job. <laughs> yeah. I got to wear a long sleeve colored shirt and I, I, I'm feeling good. Right. I'm feeling excited to go to, to go to work and uh, I get there and no one. Wants to talk to me. I'm sitting alone at lunch. I'm like, man, I haven't felt this way since middle school. What in the heck is going on here? And I realized what the deal was. They knew that I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents, it's because of who I knew. So what they were going to do is they were going to chew me up and spit me out because I didn't belong there. So I, w- I dug in. I'm like, I'm going to show these people that I, that I do belong here." So I had a positive attitude. I didn't complain about the workload. I worked the long hours, and from afar because they didn't want to talk to me, I was observing what the top loan officers did in the company. And I never forget my first day of wanting to go out in the fielding at loans for the first time. I had my rate sheets ready, and I was going to go out the door. and I remember my family friend CEO stops and goes, "What are you doing?" I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go out and get loans." And He looks at me and goes, No, no, you are not ready yet. Let's get you a little bit more training and then we'll send you out in a few months. And I'm like, No, 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 I got this. Let me go. Let me go. And he was 100% right. I need way more training. I was falling on my face left and right. I was getting abused by these clients because I didn't know what I was doing. But months would go by and I started to realize what value I could add to these clients. Mm. And I started to bring in loans and more loans and more loans. And two years later, I became a top producer in this company, and the people who didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are now coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn things around at such a fast clip. And I loved what I was doing; it was amazing what I was doing. I couldn't wait for Mondays. I was living for Mondays. I loved going to work. I, I thought this was going to be my my life's work.
0: That's amazing because you don't hear that from many
1: people. No, especially <laughs> at that young of age. I was in right. my mid twenties at the time. And then 2008, 2009 hit, and the economy tanked it. Nah. And that whole company that I was working for, they were no more. They went belly up, and I'd have to get another job. And that company went belly up. This happened about three or four times, and I was starting to really lose the luster of being in the mortgage industry. And like I said, I was living for Mondays. Some of these other jobs, I was not living for Mondays. I hated Mondays. I, matter of fact, I had what's called the Smonday Blues where I would be in a bad mood Sunday evening because I was thinking about all the crap I had to do Monday and I hated it. So it was just, it's just a hard time in my life. Like, what do I want to do? What is going on? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not having fun. It's just, it's just a stress. I'm, I constantly stressed. I'm not sleeping. I'm drinking too much. This is just not good. Mm -hmm. Then the last place I was at, they brought in this motivational speaker to to drum up the sales numbers, you know, to, to get us in a, in a great mood. And I'm rolling my eyes, hearing about like I'm going to this motivational thing. I'm like, this is nonsense. I know how to sell. What a waste of time. This and that, whatever. But I get in there, and that guy blew me away. The guy was awesome. To the point where I had to talk to him after, to tell him how great of a job he did. And Mm -hmm. he was so gracious to me. He allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He said he started as a life coach. And I'm like, what in the heck is a life coach? And explain that to me. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's what I need to get into. Maybe that's what I want to do. So on the off time of doing the mortgage stuff, I was going to school, getting my coaching certificate on the off time. And I started telling my co my coworkers and my friends that I wanted to get into this coaching stuff, this life coaching thing. And pretty much all of them are humoring me and going, "Okay, life coach, go ahead and save the world." But before you do that, can you bring a couple loans into us? So nobody really was really taking me seriously. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting my website up and I, I started posting things on my social media. And at the time, the legal team got wind of what I was doing, and they pulled me aside and said, "What is this?" That you're doing here. And I was very, very transparent. I said, you know, the mortgage loans is going to be my full time job. And this is going to be a sidekick for me. And they said, this looks like this could be a conflict of interest. We're going to get back to you. And I'm thinking, uh oh, that does not sound good. Wait, came, wait, 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 wait. I, yeah. I got to stop you there. Yeah.
0: A conflict of interest, uh-huh. mortgage loans, mm-hmm. and life coaching. Yeah. What first goes through my head is one people fear things they don't understand. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, if you're out there looking to be a life coach and you're coming up against some of these challenges that Paul did, know that it's normal. There's a scripture that says, A prophet is not known in his own land. Mm -hmm. And so, when you're around people who are familiar with you, they will not see the value in what you can bring to the table. Because they knew who you were before you got into that. And they don't understand how you can be that thing, whatever it is, unless you went to a college and you got a degree and that makes sense to them. So I just want to encourage people with that for a second as you're talking about that, because that was like, people don't understand. So please continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they came back with this report, of a five-page report of what I couldn't, couldn't say. And mm-hmm. I looked at this report. and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make any traction in the coaching world if I follow this to the T. So I thought, I'm going to have to make some changes. So for a year, I didn't do any coaching and post anything about coaching. I just did mortgage stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing is I was paying down all my debts, all my debts. And a year later, I just quit. And people are looking at me like I am nuts. I just <laughs> need President's Club. I, I, you know, and they're like, you're a loan officer. You're great at this. What in the heck are you doing? And they're like, this life coaching thing is pie in the sky nonsense. Stop this nonsense and go back to work. And I said, maybe it might be nonsense, but I got to give it a go. I got to give it a try. And they're like, okay, whatever. You, you, you'll be back. And for a while, I thought they were going to be right because I wasn't getting any coaching clients. And to make ends meet, I I started doing, you know, Uber Eats, Uber, all this, all those delivery stuff. Right. And I would be delivering to people that I went to high school with and everything like that. And they're kind of judging me, I guess, you know, all the times are tough. Paul, you know, I thought you were a mortgage loan officer. You were doing well. And now you're driving Uber. What the heck is going on with you? So there was a lot, a lot of down on me. You talk about the negative self-talk. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? I did some soul searching and I, and I realized the crux of why people weren't hiring me to coach or, or doing any speaking gigs is because how do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having CP, cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. I didn't want to tell a soul about that story because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want any special treatment. So the thought of bringing that story up, I would be near in tears talking about that. But I thought in the back of my head, that's the only way this is going to work is if I share Mm -hmm. my story. So I started sharing my story and it was shaking, shaky at first. I, I, I would be crying telling my story. You talk about being vulnerable, not being able to share my story. Yes. Several years mm-hmm. ago, that was me. I could not share this story that I'm telling you now, but I kept telling it over and over again, ever, anywhere I could tell the story where it made sense to tell the story. And tell it in the grocery store or <laughs> anything like that. But anyway, oh, that was yeah, appropriate <laughs> to. I guess I guess if the checker had a little bit of time, I could go <laughs> through my story. <laughs> but but I, I kept doing it over and over again, and I kept, and I'll never forget my first client ever. He didn't have cerebral palsy, but he had something else. And he goes, I don't have that, but I have this, and I feel like you understand me. And I would be honored if I could hire you as a coach. Mm-hmm. And we started getting more coaching clients, more coaching clients, speaking gigs. And which brings me to uh, to present day talking to you.
0: I love that because that's one of the things for most of my audience are online entrepreneurs. So a lot of them are probably coaches, consultants, things of that nature, or they do some type of service-based business. And one of the challenges we all face when you start a business is how do I get clients? And if you talk to someone who's a marketer, they'll tell you it's all about marketing. If you talk to someone who is a you know, social media expert, they're going to tell you it's all about being on social media. It, depending on the industry the person is in, they're going to tell you, for the most part, that's the way you're going to get clients. And what you said, I had to share my story. I had to be vulnerable is the most important part because no matter what you share on social, no matter what you do for your marketing, if you can't share your story,
2: you won't get clients.
0: One of the challenging things I have run into, I have tons of stories. (laughs) And my challenge has always been, what story do I tell?
2: What's the story that I tell?
0: And I have picked a story that I tell. The problem is the story doesn't seem as detrimental as it is because I don't tell all the many, many stories that have happened before that in my life. And I had people tell me all the time When I was younger, my gosh, every time I talk to you, it's like a freaking soap opera. And I'm like, can't can't my life be like a movie? A soap opera never ends. It runs for 30, 40, 50 years. And it's always drama and chaos. A movie, you have a beginning, you have an issue, you have this big drama moment, and then everything is fine and good at the end. Can't my life be like a movie instead of a soap opera? And it's still like a solo <laughs> It is. And I think that one of the things that's important for us as entrepreneurs, if we're pursuing speaking, if we have a story to share, if we want to inspire others, is we have to figure out, like you did, you know your story throughout the time to be able to say, here's where it started and here's where everything changed. And now I'm able to do this. And if you can find a path on your story that tracks, that you can make sense of, this is this all connects, but it's not discounting some of my story that doesn't get told and understand that we can't really tell everything, right? We can't tell all the trauma that we've been through. We can't, nor do we need to. But when we pick that one story that hit us the most, that impacted us the most, that maybe caused us the most challenges maybe wasn't the worst for us but t- caused a lot of the challenges that we face like being able to tell that story the way you so eloquently did today allows us to get in touch with something that we all want to th- of never talk about and i love that you touched on that too is that i didn't want to talk about this story i didn't want to tell anybody and I cried when I used to say it, right? I used to cry when I would tell my story. I used to cry when I would tell my stories. Now I can talk about them and people are like, are you human? Because it doesn't seem like it bothers you at all. And I'm like, no, I just know that I don't need to be emotional about it right now. I don't have to be in that space emotionally for me to tell the story and still have you know that it was hard and it, it was painful. And there were things, there's lessons that we learn on these journeys that help us be better for others. And so I appreciate you being willing to share your story because it's, it. one, if anyone's wanting to learn how to be a speaker, just replay Paul's section of this when he tells his story. There's There's so much, what's the word I'm looking for? Finesse in how you share it. But for those of us who are not storytellers, but we're fact tellers, there were pieces that I could pick up on that was like, oh, that's something I could do better. Like, even if I just set the whole story aside and listen to how can I be a better speaker? How can I share my story? What if I've never shared my story and I want to be able to share my story? I want to encourage all the listeners, go back and listen to Paul's story. Fast forward through all my crap and what I say, it doesn't matter. Just listen to what he had to say and how he shared his story. Very intentional, very like authentic and
2: open, very expressive. Yet it was everything we needed to hear. And it makes it.
0: That much more relatable. Even if we didn't go through the same issues that Paul did, there are things that he said that I'm sure everyone listening had at least one thing that they've been through, experienced, or know someone who has, that they can take that and go, okay, I can I can do something with this. I can move forward with this. I can help people with this. So I thank you for being so open and willing to share your story. If you guys want to connect with Paul in the comments. You can get into his, let's see, what do we have? We have his Facebook group, Rewrite Your Story, a call to action. We have his Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, like all kinds of things that are in in the description for you guys to get connected with him, get his website, get his free guide, how to write your story. And I want to encourage everyone to take time and make room for yourself to start writing your story. Take back your pen. It's very empowering. It can be very hard to do, and it can be very scary. But now you have Mr. Paul Fortune who can support you walking through writing your
2: story.
1: Well, I thank you for that. And uh, the, the story that I told you, it, that's years in the, the making. It wasn't. I didn't uh-huh. get up and be able to tell that story the way it did. I did. I had to practice that over and over again. And get to how where I, I like it and we're a working progress to the till the day we die you talk about being in a movie where there's a big middle and end <laughs> but that's just not our reality we're, it's more mm-hmm. like a roller coaster we have our ups and downs and and we just got to enjoy the now the present the past is gone the future's not guaranteed we got to enjoy what we're doing right this moment. it's more about the journey than it is about the result or the destination it truly what truly is going back to playing high school baseball my, the, the the win there was the journey of going through that and making friends through the journey I mean the cherry on top was I was able to make the varsity baseball team but the the meat of it was I was able to make friends going through the journey mm-hmm. and that's what we have to do whatever goal that you set for yourself, I know there's going to be elements of that, that goal that are going to be hard for you. I get that. But you got to be able to enjoy the journey to get there. Because if you don't, I question if this is something you really want to do. Why is it so painful to get to this point? So just really think about that. When you set a goal, you should be enjoying the, the process of getting there again, like I said, not everything's gonna be sunshine and roses. Getting there, you're gonna have points where you're gonna be low and angry and sad. I get all that, but overall, right. it should be enjoyable.
0: I agree with you, hundred percent. So, thank you again for being here. If you guys, if you're, if Paul's story resonated with you at any point, and you feel like he might be that next step for you, check the links in the description below. Get connected with him. And I know he would love to hear from you.
1: I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.